Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Welcome back, everyone, to Hot Off the Press. Um, I am Mariah of Mariah Creates. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Jillian, of Studio Soprano, as always. And today we are joined by Mark and Madeline from the International Printing Museum in California. So welcome. Yay. Great to be here. (laughs) We're actually with you guys. I am down here at the museum, and it's incredible. Um, I definitely would love to walk around a little bit after this because... I've seen it before, but that's when it was full of people. It was the fair. There was a lot going on. Yeah, you are welcome to walk around yeah. all by yourself. <laughs> it's so great. It smells like it smells like a library, like a print, like a yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's the smells and the sounds and the and the feels of a real printing shop. So yes, you, you definitely step back in history when you come here. I love it. I love it. So, um, Mark, I'd love to ask, how did you get involved with printing before, like, the museum? Like, what is your backstory with printing? Well, having reached the age of 56, I've been running printing museums now for 38 years. Oh, wow. Yep. Wow. There's a real job for me out there somewhere, but I'm not really looking (laughs) at this point. Gave up on that. This sounds like the real job. Why look for a real job when you have a dream job, you know? I I, I, I get to live uh, fully embedded in my passions. But the beginning of all that is that uh, my my origin is in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And up in the Bay Area, went to a uh, Catholic school. And two days a week, they forced us to take calligraphy Mm -hmm. to help our handwriting. Mm-hmm. which did nothing for my handwriting. <laughs> uh, but I started a business doing freelance calligraphy in eighth grade and doing invitations and cards and all that kind of fun stuff. And then that led me in through high school. Uh, and in high school, uh, you know, I, I, my small claim to fame is I've never had to flip a hamburger professionally. So I <laughs> at least got to do something a little more entertaining. And then when I was a junior in high school, I actually... You, you begin to realize how little money you make doing the craft, mm-hmm. uh, like 50 cents on the hour. And then, ooh, how much money you can make showing somebody else how to do what it is that you do. So I, as a junior in high school, I set up classes for adults and children and did that for a couple of years in high school. And that paid much better, you know, yeah, like $15 an hour. So yeah. that's, that was quite nice. And then when I was a senior in high school is when I discovered a shop course in printing. Uh, a graphic arts class and like you have auto shop, metal shop, wood shop. Well, they still had a print shop. And I said, well, that sounds like a direction. I, I love letters. I love letter forms. And uh, didn't it, like, like everybody else, you, nobody really knows that printing exists. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's just there. Yeah. It's just there. It's, yeah. it, it surrounds our lives. And, and, uh, and I always describe it now as a, it's a magic show. That's what I spend my life doing is revealing the, this great world of printing and graphics and type. 
So I went in through that. I thought that seemed like a logical direction for me. From there, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo uh, in printing management and graphic design. Got my degree there. But in the first year, in the basement is a printing museum that nobody knows about. That's been there since the uh, the early '60s, and oh it's gosh. a it's run. It's a beautiful collection. A lot of California early California printing equipment, but it's maybe two thousand square feet. 1,500, 2,000 square feet of this working collection. And I just sort of fell into it. And I love antiques. And all of a sudden, I'm the curator of a printing museum because it's run like a student club. Right. I didn't know what the word curator meant, but it really did sound good at the college party. So <laughs> just, you know, business majors, all these things. Oh, you're a curator. This is interesting. And that's a Shakespeare Press. And that's called the San Shakespeare Luis Press Bispo. Museum in San Luis Obispo. Okay. And it's in the basement of the printing department, still there Mm -hmm. and still run by the students. And it's still both an active museum and they do, uh, you know, teaching book arts there in that space as well. But while I was there for four and a half, five years, just out of a passion of being around the stuff, we started learning how to give tours, how to talk with the public when they came in for the open houses and all that, and just developing a storytelling technique around these machines, printing with it, demonstrating, telling some fun stories, engaging with people, and then started using the equipment and uh, printing things, setting, they have a great collection of antique type and, uh, and presses, but sort of actually printed a couple of books while we're there, hand set the wow. type and, and print a few books of the, probably the, the more famous of the two was the one for uh, uh, Hearst Castle. And uh, it oh, was the cool. correspondence they, they have in the library, the special collections, the first year, they, the correspondence between Julia Morgan, the famous architect who worked with Hearst and William Randolph Hearst. And they have the correspondence and I got, we, they wanted the first year of the correspondence and the librarian was doing a book on it. So we did it and, you know, the, the joy of being able to go through original materials as a college student, uh, the original pencil sketches right, and the letters like, like uh, William Randolph Hearst sending a, a, a note to my, my dear Miss Morgan, um, the family is tired of camping at San Simeon. And <laughs> what that meant for the Hearst family was wooden floored tents with servants and every need taken care of. So they were tired of that. And it, then his next line was, we would like to build a little bungalow. <laughs> and that was the start Humble of beginnings. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was doing projects like that was a lot of fun. And then when we were a freshman, our little museum group, which was like, I don't know, three of us, we came down to Los Angeles to meet this guy named Ernie Linder, who had this amazing collection. And our, our advisor was kind of bringing us down to kind of get inspired and see what we can do to revive the little Shakespeare Press Museum. And we came down to downtown Los Angeles. There was a printing district most people aren't aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 12th and San Pedro. Mm. Uh, it's part of the lost history of LA. That's another podcast. That's not yeah. you guys, so we can't, can't promote <laughs> them. Uh, Maybe so a crossover 12, episode. So 12th yeah. and San Pedro, which is now the fashion, dish, fashion district. So that's, that's the, we never knew printing was so fashionable, but they (laughs) liked our buildings and all the printers were down there. So Ernie was down there and Ernie was an equipment dealer and it goes, his family goes back to the turn of the last century in selling used printing equipment and typesetting machines. Well, he had built this amazing collection over 30, 40, 50 years. And we came down to go see him. And I remember 
as a freshman walking into this guy's warehouse and he's got guys working on his antique printing presses. He's got another guy working on one of his antique cars, all these big, giant, beautiful machines. I had no idea what I was really looking at other than it was just gorgeous 19th century machinery. Then we, he had part of the collection on display at the museum of science and industry. I remember walking into that exhibit hall and yeah, for those that are familiar, like with a platen press, mm-hmm. um, I think you guys might yep. be using one. So the one with a flywheel on the side and a, and a round ink disc at the top. So he had those in a row, starting with one that was on a tabletop that could fit in your hand. And it was kind of like pouring steroids on it. And by the end of the <laughs> row, it was this massive giant, same machine, just, just big. And you're just like, wow. And he had all these other presses and things there. And we even had lunch with his very good friend who I got to know later, Vance Gary, who was one of the lead am- animators at Disney, mm-hmm. who's also a letterpress artist and a uh, uh, typesetter and printed his own books and all that. Um, and that was the beginning of this really interesting relationship. He's, when I say the lead animator in the 50s, 60s, 70s, there's five animators at the end of a film. Mm-hmm. They all take turns as to who gets up on top. <laughs> Vance is one of those guys. Oh my gosh. And he's this amazing printing letter. He's got a, there's a whole following of Vance's work and uh, first time meeting him. And and I just remember leaving that, that time just going, man, if we could just, I, it, it, it's one of those experiences that just opens up your eyes to something you never knew existed. And for me, this was like, I'm doing what I'm doing at the college because it's just there. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm having fun. I'm just enjoying it. All of a sudden now it's like, wow, what, what we thought was big was not big. This was big. And if I could just come back and work for somebody like this, well, four and a half years later, uh, my department head comes down to a pre-opening event for this new printing museum that's going to be set up in the town of Buena Park mm-hmm. with Ernie Lindner's collection. And that that May, he comes back and calls me and I'm getting ready to graduate. He says, Mark, have I got the job lined up for you? I would like to be the curator of the world's largest printing museum, an exhibit larger than what the Smithsonian has on display and all that. Oh and that just opened it up. And when I came down that uh, for the interview that summer uh, and I got hired, but just in that September of 88, I'm walking around and in your mind is just blown away by all the potential, all the stuff, all your hobbies, career goals, passions, interests, everything you would ever want to do in life. And it's your first job out of college. And you can get paid for it and you get to do it at this level. So, um, it, so it, that's the ride I've been on and, uh, it's been, uh, certainly a significant challenge because how do you take something called a printing museum and make it work? Right. This is an independent standalone, uh, institution, but even creating the institution so that it can stand. So there, right. there's three of us that are really the founders here. It's, uh, uh, Dave Jacobson. Uh, well, you have Ernie Lindner, who had this amazing collection. And at the time, he was about 65 years old. He's got to deal with it. So if, if you know of anybody who has collections, significant collections, and collections that take up a tremendous amount of space, it's really exciting to collect. And then at the end of your life, it's a, it's a massive burden. It's like standing over the ocean with a big, giant weight over your neck. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you have... If you're passionate about it, you, you, you can't can't just, just let it go. Let it scrap. Yeah. And so he's, he's seeing this opportunity wonderful for him. 
And then this other guy named Dave Jacobson out of the printing industry, who was kind of a showman kind of a guy, created trade shows and a used printing equipment monthly magazine for the, for the industry. And he had been connected to Ernie on the, on the side and using his collection every once in a while to help promote his trade show in the 70s. He built up the largest printing equipment trade show in the West, and he really wanted to set up a printing museum. So, mm-hmm. so I'd say that uh, Dave, we would describe him as sugar daddy. <laughs> so everybody needs a good sugar daddy. So Dave, Brian, yeah. I say that all the time. Yeah, we need one of those. Yeah, where's yeah. Dave? <laughs> so Dave, Dave underwrote it, started the museum, and it's a little hard to fathom this, but he was, you know, bought a fifty thousand square foot building. And as soon as he did, the tenant on half of it disappeared and we were on the, the other half. So 25,000 square feet for the museum. He was putting in thirty-five, $40,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, wow. That's a serious operation. Yeah, that, that's serious. And so that took up, yeah. um, it took his wife about seven years to figure out the equation. And took her two years to uh, <laughs> shut off the uh, the spigot. Yeah, you know. the kibosh. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Dave underwrote it for those years, and then um, then we had a we worked on setting up a nonprofit, which I did in in uh, 1995, and then we had to figure out a way to try and come up with the money. And mm-hmm. Dave was operating the business just out of out of his uh, a DBA of his own business, so he expensed everything out. Well, I knew that wouldn't last. So the saving grace was actually um, what should have been the death knell for the museum was Caltrans. Hmm. Kind of like an odd part of your story. But uh, those that are familiar with Southern California, where there's two freeways that uh, that collide with each other, the 91 and the 5, we were literally right in that intersection. Wow. And not the best location for people to find us. Right. You can see it from the freeway, but you can't get there, which really excites tourists to no end. Um, <laughs> with millions of tourists in Buena Park, yeah. and you miss them by like one mile. So that's that's Dave. Uh, yeah. it, was just, it was classic. And But Caltrans came in and uh, indicated they were going to be taking this building through eminent domain. And when that finally happened in 97, uh, several things happened. One is Dave was no longer going to continue financing the museum. It was going to be uh, ended as far as his support goes. Ernie certainly wanted to move forward with the collection. I'm certainly mm-hmm. going forward. We had $50,000 in the nonprofit, and which I know to maybe a college student sounds like a lot of money. Uh, six months tuition. Not to a business owner, though. <laughs> so it's like, oh, my yeah. Lord. And we've been developing uh, the programs. What, what I did in those years from, from 88 to 97 was develop this concept that we can use the collection as a springboard for, for American world history, great inventions and inventors and, and make this collection come alive to the general public uh, who most of the time could care less about printing. I mean, they, they don't think they could care about it, but that's not on their radar. But when they come in to the museum, it's like, wow, because we're, we're using the machine, not so much to say, this is a printing press from 1820 and here's one that's 1870 and here's this other typesetting. That's kind of boring right. for most people. And then the machines kind of blend in after a while. But when you can tell the stories around those machines and what they did and, and what they created and the books that, that, that were made and the, the stories of history, it pulls people in. And so we do that. We have this audience that we have 
schools coming to the museum from all over. And we developed a theater side to the presentations with an actor portraying Ben Franklin. We even have one portraying Gutenberg and Mark Twain. And wow. So we're doing all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden now the rug's being pulled out. You know? mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, you know, when the rug's being pulled out, when this was in 1997, uh, the, the, everything started shutting down with Dave Jacobson, like, like, yes, we're going to go forward. We'll get another building. No, we're not going to get a building. We're going forward. No, we're not going to get a building and we're not going forward. And can I have my American Express card back? Yeah. When, when yeah. somebody asks for their American Express card back, that is a dark day. Yeah. Uh, that's a commercial there for American Express. Lisa <laughs> <laughs> thinks it's always a dark day when you use American Express. And, and then and I, we were already negotiating with Caltrans, and I quickly realized that they had an obligation to move us. They had a legal obligation to move this massive collection out of the building into storage, pay for storage for up to a year, and then move it back out. Mm-hmm. So... I captured all of that by simply moving the collection uh, myself, turned in my little car for a forklift and a truck and mm-hmm. found a place where we can store it. He would collect the, the rent for us and give it back to us. And out of that whole thing, uh, we put the collection in storage on Riverside and it captured $450,000 from Caltrans. Wow. Yeah. That's and awesome. The, uh, and that saved us. So of this moment, which was, the end right was really the salvation meaning had caltrans not come along we would have died right or it would have really diminished what we could do as a museum but because caltrans was at the table and he was able to to leverage that it gave us the seed money to go forward the second thing that happened that was critical in our little history is that that was february when i had to give in the the card april i'm in starting in New York and going through Chicago and I'm hauling back a giant truckload of more antique printing presses. Some of the best gems we've ever acquired. <laughs> this is chutzpah. I mean, I, I just, and so I'm, I'm driving, we had like the oldest of the typesetting machines called the Linotype on the truck. I had the third oldest American made wooden, wooden press that I got from Rand McDowell. Which you can see Chicago. when you walk around that's out in the front. Yeah. So I, I get, you know, I had lunch with Andrew McNally, the fourth and his brother, Ted there in Chicago and, loaded up that press. I had the earliest platen press uh, from, from George Phineas Gordon. I mean, it's like, and here I am driving back to a museum that we're shutting down. Yeah. yeah. I didn't tell anybody that, but right. I was like, no, no, just, just acquire it. That's the, the important thing. Shake the hand of Ted McNally and leave. In this industry, yeah. you always buy first and then think about storing yep. later. <laughs> you no. just have to. Yeah. And so on the way down to Oklahoma, I'm driving in the truck and I'm thinking through all what's going on and I begin to, I'm trying to figure out how do we go forward? And then it dawned on me is that uh, we're storytellers. What I need to do storytelling is I need some props. You know, obviously we got this massive museum. Well, that whole thing is going into storage. We'll be in storage for at least a year. How do we stay afloat? How do we do something? How do we get income coming in? How do we still work with the school kids? And I thought about it. I thought, well, every day at the museum, uh, you know, they pay us uh, two or three bucks a head at that time, just something paltry. And mm-hmm. then then there's like $500 worth of bananas out in the parking lot. The buses, you know, all these giants, you know, they got three school buses. And, and I realized they have to pay for those school buses. Mm-hmm. Just because it's a school bus doesn't mean it's free. The school itself has to pay the district for the use of the bus. So they're, 
they're giving us two or three hundred dollars and they've got six, seven hundred dollars out in the parking lot. They have money. It's just not going in the right direction. We need to get their money. Right. So, yeah. so I realized, well, why don't we take the museum on the road? Why don't we put create a museum on wheels? What I really need is Ben Franklin's Colonial Printing Shop. So I came back and I designed that that spring. I designed a uh, uh, our, our museum on wheels program, I, a twelve foot trailer that's wrapped in graphics that depict the five thousand year history of books. The the doors open up and it reveals Ben Franklin's working Colonial Printing Shop and. I've reduced the staff down to me and Ben Franklin. Uh, it'd be a good book, I think. Yeah. Ben and me. Yeah. 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 I think we know of a printer that could uh, yeah, do that we for could you. Do that. Yeah. So that allowed us now to continue going forward. So starting that next fall, uh, we were able to tell both our donors and supporters and the schools and all that, that, that we're in transition. And that makes a big difference in, in the support that you can get. So, and now I can go to school and we do a two hour assembly. Ben Franklin meets the kids in the school auditorium and I'm out in the, in the playground with the trailer within five minutes, I got a museum set up and I'm able to go to the schools and we can do two schools a day at $500 each. Well, that's now talking like break even kind of money that we never were at uh, under Dave. Um, yeah. Ask his wife. She, <laughs> she clearly knew we were break even. And so we started going to the schools that were normally coming to us and we, and then we built that program up. So I've gotten to the point where we're doing about 150 schools all over Southern California. Year two, I realized we're on wheels. Why, why stop at the edge of Southern California? So we do Arizona, a couple of weeks in Arizona, a few weeks up in the Bay area. And That's so, amazing. Um, so that helped support the museum uh, in that time and develop a very viable program and allows us to get to schools that can't normally come to the museum, whether it's for budget or location or some other dynamic. And it's like all of a sudden they're getting this great program right there at the school. And I bring that, that, that life to education and engage. And so many of the schools treat that as one of their best school assemblies. We love doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, you said it earlier, but people really open up when they start to learn about the history of printing. And and Mariah and I have experienced that a lot through this podcast, but also, you know, as we try to like grow and expand our businesses, like I've recently moved into a warehouse and like just talking to the people who are helping me move in, they've never heard of these printing presses. They were flabbergasted to find out how old it is, that it still works, how heavy it was. But like the more you just start telling them the story, um, they're just like totally sucked into it. And we'll even have people listen to the podcast who have no interest in printing themselves, but they're fascinated by what was behind this curtain. As yeah. you said, the, the part that no one ever thought about because they just bought a book from the store and they read it and like, it sits on their shelf. Mm-hmm. They didn't think about not even just how it's made now, but how it was made before. And it's so fascinating and people yeah. are really, really interested. They just don't know at first. Right. And they, I, uh, I treat that and that's how we've developed the, the programs here at the museum is um, you, you think of the, the printer, you know, and traditionally it was always like a guy, but now it's more women, <laughs> which is wonderful. Um, but, you know, so the printer, I mean, it doesn't matter what you do for them when they come in the museum, they're, they're just going to love it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the kind of like their world, even though they've never really seen the stuff that we have here, they just, it's kind of their world. 
So the tour that I give and that I trained everybody else around here to give isn't to the printer. It's to the printer's spouse or partner. The other one that's there mm-hmm. would rather be down the street doing anything else than being dragged into <laughs> your industry's museum. And so I focus in on that and, and we make sure that we listen to who it is that's in front of us. So we're not, I describe it as being like old fart docents that just monotone say the same thing and it's just flat and like it's, it's, I'm bored with that. We give it to them and we find out where they're at. And a couple of questions, they let you know enough about them that you can tailor a presentation. And and then they start to light up. And then what's kind of funny, sometimes they go around and then they hit their husband. Like, you never told me any of this. This is fascinating. And it's like just whack. You know, it's like and by the end, they're just they're just loving it. And they, they just go, I I can't even imagine uh, this place. I just like I I wouldn't even have expected to have enjoyed this. And, and I always tell people, if you're going to bring somebody down to the museum, just don't tell them. Yeah. Just make it a mystery trip. Come on down. We'll take care of you. Our, our rule here is that everybody gets a tour. And whether it's one person or a group of 50 or 100, I want that engagement. Even if somebody doesn't want a tour, we'll find a way to give them a, an informal <laughs> tour because it's, it's that seeing the working machines and stuff happening that we don't see in our lives anymore. Right. Everything's inside of a box. I mean, we're talking yeah. inside boxes right now. And it's, um, you know, sound engineer guys, I'm sure love the microphone in front of me, but they, it's, it's, it's just this black thing sitting yeah. here in front of me. But <laughs> when you can work, see machines and stuff working and it's creating something and, and it's like we cast type the way Gutenberg did. So we're taking molten metal. Now it, this is not just for the kids, but even the adults, but how many of us have really seen molten metal? And then we, so I, we're taking the lead, tin, and antimony, and we're talking all about this, how Gutenberg developed all this in 1440, 1450. And then I'll take the metal and I'm pouring it and, and, and stuff. And they're seeing and the kids' eyes are really wide. And then you pour it out on, on the table, the steel table, and it solidifies immediately. It's, it's like a Terminator movie. I mean, they just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm spinning it around within seconds and they're blown away. Yeah. And then I take it and melt it right back down again because yeah. the temperature that we're working with is 550. It's low enough that it goes both directions quickly. And then we pour it into a mold of what Gutenberg had developed to create type. And then also we made a type letter. And then we put that into, we set it with other letters and we were printing on the press. And they're seeing this for the first time all coming together. And they're just, it's mind blowing for them. It's like, wow. And yeah. Then, and when you think about it on one's other side, is that how many museums do that? How many museums really put out the red carpet for every visitor who comes in and wants them to have this, this amazing experience that that's a, a game changer. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to be printers and all that, or it just, it just means that they're going to go, wow, I'm after the wow factor, you know, as to what happens here. So if them just goes, wow, you know, that was amazing. Yeah. And, and I want them to go away thinking about those books differently. Like our approach with the kids, I mean, we can't teach kids how to read. That's not what our role in this is. But if I get them a little more excited and interested in that object in their hands and what it took to create it, I'm, I, I have them touching and holding a book that's older than the country. Mm-hmm. And I'm having them feel a piece of paper that is not falling apart like a newspaper would in five years. And they're, right. it's just, they're just like, wow, this is just amazing. And uh, that's neat. I mean, we just had yesterday, this week, we've had uh, four classes come out from 
place called Loma Linda Academy that's out in, by Redlands in Kelvin. We're talking on a morning in LA, getting across, you know, nearly San Bernardino, past San, it's past San Bernardino, yeah. four hours, two hours here, wow. two hours back, and four hours in the day of doing our tours and all that. And these kids and their parents who were driving them were so animated. We've, we've hosted this group for 15, 20 years, but it's like their best field trip and they just absolutely love it. Yeah. And uh, we, I relish seeing that. So we, with everybody that's here working at the museum, but whether it's our volunteers or those that are on staff like Madeline here, that's the philosophy that we have here is you can go and see this kind of a collection that used to, it's not there anymore, but the Smithsonian, they mothballed it, unfortunately, but you would see it there and it's dry and kind of boring. Yeah. Well, these presses, the presses are so interesting because of how they operate and because the printing process is so manual and physical and right in front of you, that is so opposite of what we have now. But Mm -hmm. most museums are very hands-off, don't touch, alarms, you know, it's like to have something where you can actually see these historical objects that are important Mm -hmm. to the story of our country and and other things, like actually working is truly unique. Yeah, so yesterday, our, our school group, that the Redlands group, um, they in our theater, they, this is how we, we really think outside the box here. I mean, you think you're a printing museum, all right, so you have machines out in the gallery, and then you, all right, maybe you operate them and demonstrate on things like this. And, and from day one, we went way past that by like creating this theater element to the museum. So right now, we're sitting in the museum's theater. So yesterday, the kids met Benjamin Franklin and learned about his life and inventions and discoveries. And, and the fun part about that for us is Ben Franklin is my, my secret weapon to get into the schools into fifth grade because he's in their curriculum. Yeah. Well, for us in the industry, he's our patron saint or devil, whichever direction you <laughs> think about like Ben Franklin. Uh, and they know a certain story about Ben Franklin, but they don't know the whole story. And the fact that Franklin you know, started out life as a printer and learned the art of and the trade of printing and set up his shop by age 22 and retired having developed a whole uh, slew of printing shops across the colonies, retired rich and wealthy at 42 as one of our richest men at the time that he could then spend the next 40 years doing everything else that you know him for, the science and the inventions and and working on the constitution and, and all that stuff. But printing was what formed and shaped his life. So I get to use the story of printing in a unique way. Uh, and then we've got Ben Franklin's printing, printing press behind us. So we you know, print one of his almanacs or, or a newspaper page and kids are engaging with that. And the other thing yesterday that we did was, uh, oh, so they come in our theater. One of our other tours is show us outside the box. We uh, it developed many, many years ago as our constitutional convention. So on that one, these kids, we break them up in the theater and into our version of Independence Hall, and they have to debate with Benjamin Franklin at the Constitutional Convention, the ideas that might or might not go into the Constitution. And they <laughs> use the original comments from 200 years. So they're, they're arguing with Franklin on that. But then when they get done with that whole process, when they're out in the gallery, I get to talk about the, uh, the great documents that have led to and obscure our freedoms. So one of them, we're, we're walking over to uh, the printing press, Ben Franklin's printing press, and I'm printing a page of the, the Declaration of Independence. Wow. And here it is, beautifully typeset. And I'm showing them 
a facsimile copy of the Declaration of Independence that we all know, beautifully written out with John Hancock's signature on there and all the other ones uh, at the bottom. And and I I tell him the story. I said, I'm showing him this written one with all the signatures. I said, you know, this this one is the copy. I said, of course, this is a copy, but the one in Washington, D.C. is a copy. Mm-hmm. They've never heard that. That was done not on July 4th. Uh, that was done a month and a half later in August. Yeah. And on July 4th, it was a printed document. It was, they needed a hundred copies right away. The only way to do that is printing. Well, Franklin is an old man. He's a printer. He's in Philadelphia. He knows the other printers. They go down the street to the, the local printer, John Dunlap, and they set the type all night. Uh, and, and I always tell, I tell the kids, hey, when, you, when you do any kind of a printing job, you know this, one of your most important decisions is what? You, know, you got to make some choices. Paper would be one. What's another one? Your font. Your fonts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> fonts are like the addiction of any graphic artist and designer. I mean, we all have thousands of fonts. And so, so you got to choose the right font for the yeah. right flavor. So they thought about it and, and they quickly decided, let's use, since we got to send one of these to King George, let's use King George's favorite font just so he can read it. And so they chose Caslon, which is like the English font. It just, it, it's their identity. So we're going to send it in Caslon. And they set it nice and beautiful in Caslon. So they printed the copies and then those went back with, with all the delegates back to their respective states. And there's actually, so, so the original Declaration of Independence is a printed document. And it's read differently. The title of it is different than what it says a month later. So, wow. and because there's some words missing on it on the one on July 4th, when the printer said it, it said uh, a declaration by the representatives of the United States of America. A month later, it said the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. So mm-hmm. two words, critical words are missing there, which adds to us the ability for us to tell the story and make it sync with the kids. Uh, the word unanimous is not on there. It was not a unanimous vote on July 4th. Yeah. Like everybody thought 12 said yes. And one said nothing. No, they didn't say no. They said nothing. It was the New York crew. (laughs) They said, said, uh, you know, we were never given the authority to vote. Uh, I always say, because it's New York, I say, it's just, it's a mafia thing. You know, we got to go back and talk to the family. And then then they go back to the family. That's definitely what New York would say. So they go back and then they say, oh, of course, we're on board. Then it became the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States. Well, I'll tell you, by the end of the day, those kids were ready to go home and talk about that to their parents and show them one of the facsimile documents and show them the printed one. And, and, and we're able to make an impact on them in that way. So that's what we love to do here. And that's one side is our educational work. And that's, that's 20, 25,000 school kids a year. That's with a staff of 2.5. Wow. To three. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. So we we work hard yeah, you know, I on bet. a beer budget to make this happen. <laughs> Madeline knows. Yeah. Oh yeah. Madeline's been on board now as our as our new manager for right. Well, well. We got the delight of <laughs> of uh, getting hired to replace the uh, our other manager Sarah Halpert, who's absolutely fantastic as well. So, but she was moving on, and getting married, and heading off to Israel, and then. We just made the decision to bring Madeline on. We discovered her. this was her. March 2020. Yeah. Oh. Uh, We're not sure what happened moment. in March 2020. But, uh, <laughs> Pivotal moment. Yeah. So, but it was a, a great find in finding Madeline. And because she, she, she had come out of uh, one of the book arts uh, 
programs at Scripps College, but she can yeah. tell you about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was um, an art conservation major at Scripps College. There's not that many undergrad programs that have that. And I, I wanted to be a book restorer. That was kind of my thought. I liked chemistry, art history, and creating things. So I thought conservation was a good hybrid of all of that. And I thought I wanted to do book restoration. So I took a book arts art extracurricular on a whim. And it turned out that most of the focus wasn't so much on book binding, but on letterpress itself, which was kind of my introduction to that. So that was, um, I also came at an interesting time to Scripps College Press because it was on the cusp of two different instructors. So I got to work with Kitty Marriott, who's kind of still involved in things. And I also got to work with Tia Blassingane, who's um, also a really great mentor. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I kind of name dropped Kitty when I met Mark. <laughs> um, yeah. So I ended up not doing conservation and was working for an art gallery, which was, it's a little slow. You kind of sit at a front desk and are friendly to people and do that all day, five days a week. And I was coming to the printer's fair to see if I could like buy a printing press and spice up my life and do something different. And Did we ever spice up? <laughs> I was going to say, what a great way to spice up your life. I mean, yeah. wow. And you can sit at the front desk. I don't. Yeah. yeah. So basically, we need a t-shirt with I that on like, it. I went yeah. to Mark and was like, oh, I'm interested in printing and things like that. I, you know, went to Scripps, took this class and he was like, well, it just so happens our manager is leaving and yeah, art galleries are boring, but you'll never be bored here. Yeah. So yeah, it's true. <laughs> what an absolute gift to one, have that drive initially to want to go into book restoration, uh-huh. um, to have the education, to get to be in a classroom, to uh, learn a bit of the history and then to make the connection and come here and I mean, just in the, you know, 40 minutes that we've been sitting here, Mark's already opened up like a whole world of knowledge to me that I'm like, I grew up two hours north of Philadelphia and no one ever talked about Ben Franklin being a printer. You've got lots of history there. Never never (laughs) once did we go on a field trip to go look at printing presses. They never talked about it. They talked about his inventions. They talked about his other contributions. Um, it's, it's just like a part that unless you have someone who opens the door, unless you came from like a family of printers or, you know, grandpa had a press in the basement, grandpa had a press in the basement. Exactly. Mariah, like you had to have some sort of like connection to even know that this was a thing. So every tour that you do, every kid you talk to, like you are giving them the greatest gift because it's a seed of knowledge. Yeah. And and if it grows, it grows. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But it's having the option to let it grow and to dive more into this incredibly rich history. I mean, where would we be without printing presses? Well, that reminds me of uh, a story that I've got of one of our visitors. So you never know what effect you're going to have on somebody. So I, I, I describe our... Like our journey through life in this pathway is uh, is a is a journey. It's you get the the road going, and then you have forks in the road. And sometimes those forks are really positive moments. Sometimes they're negative moments. And and then they you start going off in maybe another direction, another tangent. And then there's another fork and all this. And sometimes it's it's just a wow moment that makes you stop and think of it, like like discovering printing for the first time or that typography exists. I mean, the shape of letters is, is actually, there's something about that. And it's, 
you never know when that fork is going to be. And my, my goal is to be a fork uh, in, in people's lives, whether they're young or, you know, in their 80s, you know, still give them an, another fork to have them say, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, that's something for a presenter to catch somebody who's, who's up towards the end of their life and still have an educational aha moment. And all. Yeah. So one of those ones was a kid in Buena Park that showed up with their, their school. They, I think they even walked to the museum. It was like a Catholic school. That's what they do. They, they, they do it right. They, you know, we're going here. We're going to walk it. They <laughs> walked down the street and they were happy. <laughs> they didn't know, other, know, know any different. So that's not LAUSD for them. Uh, so they, they went and we give a fifth grade tour. That's one of our main audiences with, with the elementary schools. Met Ben Franklin. I did the tour and all that. So years later, uh, I mean, we're talking years later, 10, 15 years later, um, I find I, I run into this lady and it turns out that she bought a printing, a little letterpress greeting social printing greeting card invitation business in Culver City. Well, the two ladies that ran that business for for decades and decades who were up there in years, I knew them. They were friends of the museum. They would support us with you know, $50 or $100 every year, had a beautiful type collection. And uh, and they were part of the the actual printing industry before we had things like book arts and, and letterpress studios and all that. They just, that's the way they did invitations back then. Well, it turns out this little girl named Laura grew up, got excited about book arts, and then ended up buying their company in retirement. You know, so to let the ladies retire, got this whole collection of type and, and added the presses and all that and started this amazing business called Copper Willow Studios, which still is, is running yeah. in uh, Culver City. Yeah. And I was like, wow. I mean, it's like, that was a nice success story. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And then the guitar was, I ended up getting all the type. <laughs> there you go. That is a win-win so, win right there. Around. Yeah. Oh, on that one. That was great. So yeah, it's just, it's, and then that's the other, this other, so that we are describing one audience for the museum, which is the education world. Mm-hmm. So, so it gives us a reason for existence. So that's beyond just having beautiful machines that people who like those particular machines and type can, can, can go and see it, use it and all that. But we have this audience of schools that, we can use the museum as a springboard for these other areas that are of interest to them and pull them in and mix those, those two worlds together. And that brings in funds that help underwrite the museum and helps us save all this stuff. We need to, to do that. uh, Because a museum says it's nonprofit, the the goal is not to have profit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how you close your museum. If you have no funds coming in and can't pay for things. Right. Uh, Yeah. And since we lost the sugar daddy, it's been very, very real to me as to how to <laughs> how to get a museum to be self-sustaining because we don't have big donors. We don't have sources of funding that we earn it very uh, in lots of different ways. So be creative. So schools are one of them. But the other one that is just is very exciting is sort of the art and the graphics world. So mm-hmm. going even back into Buena Park, we'd always be teaching classes and stuff on letterpress and, and beginnings of some level of book arts. But here in our location in Carson, we've really had a focus on that community. And uh, we, we reach them in a couple different ways. One is for the last 13 years. So 13 years ago, 
we decided to create something called the Los Angeles Printers Fair. And Which you were saying you had been to. Yeah, sure. Yes. You yeah. came in. That's where Madeline uh, Yeah, that's how I us. found out about this. I came here and bought Perfect. a cabinet. Yeah. And <laughs> at that, so what we, the goal there is, is to have this, this event that would bring together um, this printing graphics community and as well as the general public. And so it has grown over all the years um, to, to where now we have about 80 to 90 artists, vendors, printers, papermakers, demonstrations. Uh, we have a tent in our parking lot between our two buildings and there's just activity everywhere. And 1,500 to 2,000 people in the course of a weekend, just it's creativity on steroids. And I love it because what I'm after that, the philosophy in there is to bring these communities together uh, have the bookbinder meet the printer and, and, and have the, the general public be able to meet the artist who's creating their work. And, and then also for us to, you know, let them see things through the museum and do, do these hands-on demonstrations. How many art fairs do you get to go to where you're actually helping to create the art? Right. And you're involved in that whole process. So it's the energy and the, the excitement of that. I mean, you experienced it. Yeah. Know, the, in fact, uh, we talked about it in uh, the first episode. So if you haven't listened to that, you should definitely go back and listen where my mind was completely blown about the linotype. Yeah, that's how I found out about you guys. <laughs> and <laughs> so, and and you were talking about this earlier, how people come in with their spouses. So I was actually down, I dragged my boyfriend at the time, um, now my fiance, I dragged Zach down here on our anniversary. And I said, this is what I want as a gift. I want you to take me to this fair. Yeah. And not to say that he wasn't interested. He's an engineer. He likes to tinker. But seeing that linotype oh, yeah. and getting my slug and seeing my face light up over it, he was like, all right, I'm sold. What do we have to do? Where, where are we going? What are we buying? And and we stayed the whole day and we talked to, I mean, that was the day I learned how photopolymer plates were made. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, we looked at, you know, every single booth that had cards. Um, I got my coins. Like when I first got my press, um, the woman who bought it or who sold it to me, she was using a piece of MDF that on the back of it had just like a sheet of magnet and the MDF filled my chase. So like once you put it in there, like it would kind of stay in there. But of course, because of the impression and all of that, the MDF was warped and like you couldn't get an even impression to save your life. So I knew that I needed something upgraded and um but I hadn't figured out like what to do or whatever. I really had just bought my press and it had been sitting in the living room. Yeah. So I was talking to a guy out here in the parking lot and he's got everything all on his table. It was John Barrett. Out of Massachusetts. Letterpress things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Letterpress yeah. things. They're one of our farthest traveling vendors. And he had everything that I could possibly but he had stuff i didn't even know what to do with but i told him i told him about my situation i was like i've got this piece of mdf i need to like not be using that anymore and he was like all right you're gonna you need these coins here's the key this is this oh, oh and that was the other thing he didn't even have the key for the one coin that i needed he shipped it to me later he's like i'm gonna send it to you no worries nicest man in the whole world i walked out of there the happiest person i can ever be <laughs> <laughs> Like kid in a candy store had a bag yeah. full of cards, a bag full of tools. I actually knew a little bit more about how to use my press and I didn't feel as afraid, like getting mm -hmm. to see, 
you know, other people using them, I was like, okay, I could go home. I'm going to run it slow. It doesn't have a motor. I was like, I'm not going to cu- cut off my fingers or anything. That's and, uh, you know, just went to town and, and mm-hmm. it's been amazing ever since then. So that fair, I mean, it does exactly what you want it to do. It brings people together and yeah. see all the different components, um, yeah. That go into it, it. The the reality of this, especially for, for those that are trying to pursue the art side of printing. So I, I describe book arts, it, it's sometimes a little difficult to put an exact definition on, but basically I describe it as the use of traditional printing techniques in a modern way as an art form. So whether it's letterpress or engraving presses or typesetting or the, the papers, and it's just book binding. It's just bringing those things together. Uh, the reality is when you when you step into an archaic process, the most important thing for a newbie to do is to connect with the community. Mm-hmm. And it's not always intuitive to them that, that they need to do that or that that community might even exist. And the reality is this form of printing, letterpress printing, has been around since Gutenberg. And as a commercial trade, it was a major trade doing letterpress printing in through the 1950s, 60s, 70s. And there still were shops in the 80s and 90s that were still doing some level of it. And so the equipment is still around, the the tools are there, but the knowledge and the people, and it's been a, a hobby for people to be pursuing letterpress printing. I'm involved in the hobby of printing. I'm, I'm, I'm the president of the APA, the Amalgamated Printer Association. We've been around now for 60, 65 years now. 150 letterpress printers and we get together somewhere in the country every year and we ma- every month we get mailings of you have to print four pieces every year and the mailer puts it into envelopes and you get a bundle mine just showed up for this month yesterday and so tonight you know with my merlot i get to open it up and enjoy printing and i just, love that <laughs> printing, bad printing or something but that's it's a community of young and old and and the young ones learn from the old ones. The old ones get inspired by the young ones going outside the box and doing things. It's just, but that knowledge is there, but you got to connect and you got to make the effort or, or else what you end up doing is reinventing your wheel. Yep. And I've, I've seen enough wheels that are just the weirdest shapes that these it's young way, printers. It's harder to reinvent the wheel. Oh my God. I just look at them like, why are you doing that? And, then, and they'll say, well somebody told me to do it that way. And then the person told them to do it that way. And it's like somewhere five generations back was a real printer who, so (laughs) it's rolling over somewhere. We want that that connection to to, like for you just to get that to realize, okay, you're, you're here in LA and all of a sudden you, you met the source for letterpress supplies for the country who was at the event, John Barrett at letterpress things. I'm putting a plug in for him. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. So <laughs> he's like 80, but he has a warehouse just full of it. And he his goal was to set up a store, literally, that you can walk in and everything is organized. It's priced, it's on the table, but it's all this old beautiful stuff from from the images we call cuts to the type to the tools to the things and the presses and cabinets. And you just fill up your cart and go away. And but you now are connected to an answer to some problem that you might have. Mm-hmm. And then you get to know this other person so you can pick up the phone and, and call or send an email and get an answer. And there's there's so much knowledge in this community. This this was a trade. This was a existing real trade that um, every high school had a print shop in it. I mean, so there's like one in four that have gone through a print shop 
mm-hmm. of a certain generation that on the age 50, 60 and above, they, they come in here and say, Oh, I took that in junior high. Yeah. Not that they became Which a printer. So but, just, yeah. I know. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I had, I had computer class. No, we I played know. Oregon trail. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get to see. I had not seen a press in person until I bought mine. That was yeah. the first time I had ever seen a press in person. I saw one at Colonial Williamsburg. And other than that, I didn't realize that you could go see them elsewhere until yeah. college. Yeah. yeah. And so we have like the, the museum's collection is massive uh, uh, and keeps growing. <laughs> <laughs> I was in one of the warehouses today. So uh, as I as I describe this to people, I, 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 I think American Pickers wants to get to my warehouse <laughs> or one of them. So we have... All these you should machines definitely sell that, tickets to that event because <laughs> okay. yeah, it. Uh, I'm just in there. I just built another building on my storage space out in the beautiful city of Corona, and that's not enough. I got to build another one. It's just twenty. That's five thousand square feet out there of stuff stacked three levels high up to the ceiling. Then we have all the machines here at the museum in our front building and our back building. Then we have fifteen semi trailers filled up with machines, and then we've got. I got more stuff across the country that we just haven't picked up yet. So we get it all eventually. So I mean, we're, yeah. just, we're like the black hole vortex of all things printing. I mean, I just got another email this morning from somebody who has a, a windmill press here in LA and they never turned it on. They, they've just been using their platen press, which I think you, you have a platen, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like, and he's, he's trying to figure out what do I do? I mean, do you have somebody that that'd be willing to buy this or all this? I was like, I haven't responded to him yet, but it's like one of the sides of COVID is uh, a lot of people have been giving up their windmills. Yeah. So we have a windmill farm here at the printing museum. We've, <laughs> I have eight, eight windmills right now that are available. That uh, is good to know. Yeah. So we, if you need, so the, uh, another side here of what we do is I, um, like at the printer's fair, I, the other side, the reason for creating that was to give me an audience to help sell uh, our surplus material. So we have so many platen presses and these aren't historic ones. They're just functional. I, I, mm-hmm. You know, the C&P Chandler and Price platen press, which, is that what you have? Mariah has That's a Chandler and Price. You have a, you're yep. 40, right? Yeah. I've you got a, a cha- I have a challenge Gordon. A challenge Gordon. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the, that eight by 12, 10 by 15 inch platen press, that's, I describe that as the the Ford 150 of the printing world. All right, it's just it's the workhorse. It's there. Mm-hmm. The BMW is is the windmill. Okay? Mm-hmm. You know, beautiful German engineering and all. So we've got so many of those. I mean, right, right now I've got ten or fifteen, ten by fifteen and eight by twelves, platen presses that we restore, we refurbish them, and then we'll sell those back out to artisans like yourself who are trying to get set up or trying to upgrade their equipment. And it allows the machine to live, gets it back into uh, somebody's hands who's going to be using it. And, uh, uh, and then it raises money, critical money for the museum. So it's kind of like part of uh, a, a way of saving this history is getting these kind of machines and supplies and cabinets and type and tools back out so it can get used. Yeah. And it all works out well because we, one, we raise money. Two, we get more people engaged with the printing art. And three, they always end up donating it back in about five years or ten years. So, I, so it's 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 a revolving it's a door. Revenue. So we actually got one back right before our last sale that was from the E.G. Linder company, and we were like, "Oh, oh yeah, that was like that right was before the Printers Fair." Um, 
I, I get a phone call from from somebody up in uh, Pasadena, and you know they had passed away, and the family was dealing with it, and there was a, a Vandercook uh, press, not one of the the really great ones, but it was a good good mm-hmm. Vandercook, a, a manual one, and uh, and I'm like a repro man. I mean, you say you say that to me on a Thursday afternoon, Friday morning, I've got my trailer and equipment, and we. We relieve you of that burden very quickly. <laughs> and, and literally that one had Ernie Lindner's, the E.G. Lindner company, had his sticker on it. He had sold it to them, you know, 30, 40 way. years ago. And it made its way back. And it made its way back. And right. so I was like, and we had another one where uh, I think it was, uh, you know, it was two years ago. And this guy shows up at the door and he says, my, my uncle passed away. He was this amazing architect, artist, uh, graphic artist that worked for Pan Am doing all their, uh, their travel brochures. So he, he traveled the world and his amazing house on the strand in Manhattan beach. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's itself is a historical house. And in this house is all of his artwork and all these wonderful things. And turns out that he had a printing press on the second floor up the stairs an Albion hand press <laughs> that he bought, he got from Ernie Lindner in the 60s. Oh my gosh. And with the deal was he bought it for $1 and the deal was that he would give it back to the museum when he was done. So I didn't even know this press existed. I'm the curator of the Ernie Lindner collection. I, Ernie never told me that there's this press sitting out there. And so all of a sudden I get the, the knock on the door here from, from the nephew who's dealing with the, the, the estate. And says, well, um, so we have an Albion press for you. These are like from 1850, uh, hand lever press, and uh, it's yours. And uh, so I'm up there. You know, Come and get it out of the second floor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Talk about down. a beautiful view. I mean, overlooking Sunset and Manhattan Beach on oh, the second floor. I can and, imagine. Uh, that, was, that was great. So just, but we had a terror of this thing all the way apart. So uh, fortunately, I've, I've uh, raised strong young men. So I've, <laughs> hauled those two guys with me and, and, and we, we moved uh, 1500 pounds of cast iron down the steps oh my gosh. and stuff. So, but yeah, the stuff, it all shows up. So we, and we, we have surplus stuff all throughout the year. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm known for wearing a plaid, plaid suit and uh, I'm really good at, at finding homes for all this stuff. And, and if somebody wanted to see what you had available, um, what, like, what's the best way to know Best thing to do is always just contact us at the museum. Uh, uh, We're at printmuseum.org, or you can shoot an email at mail at printmuseum.org, and you'll connect with me. And um, and then I usually when I'm when I'm dealing with somebody who's looking for equipment, I I like to interview them to find out what they need. Yeah. So they might not know what they need, but if they can answer some questions about what they're trying to do, what kind of printing they're trying to do. Are you trying to go in it as a hobby? Are you, are you trying to do this as a business? It's like, you're not going to do a business on, on little Kelsey's. And yeah. even, even trying to do a greeting card business on an 8 by 12 um, it's which hard. It, it's not the right size. I mean, right. a 10 by 15 a 12 by 18 they have, a, they have a sweet spot like a tennis racket that you can print. You, you don't think... You know, one of the common mistakes somebody does when they're buying a press, they're, they're thinking the folded card is the size. Right. You know, it's like, no, you unfold it. Right. <laughs> Unless you want to, you know, indent the the card on the other side, uh, you need the right 
stuff. And then, so which direction you go in, whether you use, you, you need certain tools and supplies. So when I'm selling some equipment, I'm trying to make sure that they have what they need and they're also buying ahead of themselves. Yeah. You, you don't want to sell somebody a tabletop press when they really need a floor model. Right. They might not think they need the floor model, but it might be like, all right, you, you want to go in that direction. Um, and sometimes they, they're, I just delivered a press in uh, San Luis Obispo and they were, had to go upstairs and go into the house and around. Well, there's a certain size press. Well, I, we got them one that's a seven by 11 pearl, which does sound very exciting and exotic. <laughs> I, that's my favorite love press. Those pearl I love those oh, They're pearls. so cute. That's They're the first so press pretty. I learned on. Is at, it really? At, uh, at the Shakespeare Press Museum. And it is the press that, uh, I mean, it's, you'll have to look up the image, but if it's this beautiful machine and the, they range in dates, but roughly 1880 to 1910. So think of a turn of the century machine with the curved uh, uh, flywheel spokes and it just operates beautifully. Mine's the old style that has cabinets in the base that you open up and it has this, the, the drop dead sexy treadle with a heart shape on it. I mean, who wouldn't want to yeah. see that in their living room when it's such. Yeah. I ended up with my Kelsey because I was afraid to jump into a floor model, you know, as Fair, I think yeah. a lot of people are. Yeah. And I had looked at a Pearl um, here in Minneapolis, actually, and it was in beautiful condition. And it's those presses are this like amazing size for someone who's afraid right. of the floor model, but knows that they're going to eventually outgrow a tabletop. But that's also why they're so expensive. <laughs> yeah, sure They're just like this perfect little compact, beautiful yep. piece of equipment. So and they print really well and they're not meant yeah. to uh, a lot of people like their letterpress to have very very deep impression mm -hmm. and you have to know your machine yeah. and this is where you're you know in talking with somebody you got to find out I, I mean i sold one one girl a uh, a pearl press and she came right out of college she learned letterpress or graphic arts she wants to get into letterpress and start printing her cards and all that and i sold i sold them I, what was really the gem of the show that year which was a a seven by 11 pearl press. It's actually the same one that I use at home. It's the old style. And I know this machine very well. Mm -hmm. And sometime later I get the phone call that, um, uh, um, uh, what, what's this machine you sold my daughter that's falling apart. So what do you mean it's falling apart? And, uh, I said, send me some pictures and all this. I said, that, that machine was in excellent shape. Mm -hmm. and then I go down and take a look at, look at the machine and the back, um, it's a collar mechanism that, that creates the pressure it was cracked and broken. I Aww. said, can you show me what you were printing? And she showed me this deep impression, large image that is way beyond the capacity of this press. It, just because a machine closes, doesn't mean it has the same pressure as say a Heidelberg windmill right. that has the pressure and the, the, the engineering to do that deep impression. These ones were never meant to do that. And she said, yeah, it's, it was going fine. And then it, then, then it kind of cracked and, uh, but it, yeah, it was still working and I just kept going. And, oh, and that's then tragedy. It, then sometime later, then she said, then it all fell down on the ground. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just incredulous as I'm looking at her. Cause this, <sighs> it's like, these aren't parts you get off of a shelf. Not even John Barrett will have this on a shelf, shelf, like, here's a spare part for your pearl press from 1890 because yeah. it oh. means that somebody had to go take a press and drop it and be smart enough to save the pieces because yeah, somebody yeah. might try and do deep impression on a, on a, a lightweight machine. 
So we ended up fixing her press for her, but it was like, that was a, that's a hard lesson. Wow. So that's what, that's a service I give to is to try and help people one, get the right kind of equipment. And if it's not something we have, get them in the direction of where, you know, the supplies and other things are at. And uh, that's so great to know. Cause I think a lot of people, I mean, I definitely felt this way, like feel really timid about or intimidated by asking people who've been in the industry because you don't want to say something stupid. You know, you're going to say something stupid and you really value their time. There is a community here and it's, and not just here in Los Angeles, but like here within the printing industry. And it may feel hard to crack into, Mm -hmm. but um, we always encourage people to try because once you do, it's, it's great. Yeah. And on that, um, we have just recently started offering classes mm-hmm. because I think it is possible to come here and manage to track down the person with, you know, three hours worth of knowledge who's more than happy to sit down and talk to you. But it doesn't happen every Saturday. But right. we've started offering mm-hmm. classes now where you do get, you know, yeah. a day of uninterrupted time to learn a skill. And that's that's our latest uh, development. Um we, we have a way of taking uh, adversity and tragedy and leveraging that to our, <laughs> our, our benefit. I, I, I approach life that way. So when you're at the printer's fair, you don't look at the floor, but the floor was undone and we need to do the flooring and some walls and do some other stuff. But, well, we're going to make use of this time to finally get that stuff done because in order for us to do things, we have to move a lot of machinery to the left, fix the stuff on the right, then move the machines to the right, fix the stuff on the left, move them all back, do the stuff in the front. So it's, and while I was in line at Home Depot, those really entertaining lines at the beginning of the pandemic where you're outside the building and nobody knows what's going on. They let three people in at a time. I uh, don't miss that. Oh God. Uh, I can't even believe we lived through that. Yeah. Weird. So I I get a phone call from another foundation and it's the one that's connected to Rainbird Sprinklers, which we know out here in the West. And, um, and that's the Ludwig Family Foundation. And uh, their patriarch, Art Ludwig, likes to dress up as Ben Franklin and go around to schools at age 70, 75. And other than sleeping with the president, you want your foundation to dress up as Ben Franklin. And that's <gasps> so I get the phone call from from the, uh, the front end person, the program officer. And he says, you know what? Art likes to go around to his different charities and uh, said, it's, uh, it's your turn. So what do you want to do between $5,000 and $100,000? I'm like, wow. Um, I immediately knew what we wanted to do and how much we wanted. Yeah. Uh, which would be, we put in a request at 96500 And for, I want to take the unit in our back building, a 4,600 square foot unit that a machine shop was in, one of our tenants. I needed to get him off the property. I needed that space. So I said, all right, this is our opportunity now to build our uh, 4,600 square foot letterpress book arts lab called the Book Arts Institute, which I've been trying to do for years and years and years. Well, now we can actually design one uh, from scratch and that's what we've created. And so they gave us, they worked on, worked out getting the funding from them, the initial funding. Then I talked with John Horn and he says, oh, they love matching grants. So we got the second hundred thousand on that and that then underwrote the development that we have just now launched here in 2022 as teaching classes in letterpress and bookbinding and typesetting. And we'll be doing um, uh, etching and engraving. We got screen printing equipment there, uh, platen presses, Vander Cooks. I mean, we have all the machinery in the world. So now we're, we want to build this to be one of the best 
educational facilities. And, uh, and then you can take the class as a newbie, then you can walk over in the warehouse. I'll put my jacket on, then we'll get you set up with <laughs> a printing press and some type and cabinets. And then you can go You'll take good a paper to go. making. We're, yeah. we're actually, and we're, part of it is we just acquired uh, a full paper making studio from Cindy Iverson. That's amazing. So we'll have, we're going to have a full on paper making and marbling uh, studio as well. And there's, there's really nowhere out here that you can go. No, you know, there's not, not much paper making happening, but we're going to be doing that. So that's our next world on things. So, and (laughs) that is all so exciting. And then on top of all that, because we, you know, I keep mentioning we don't have enough stuff here. <laughs> so um, I'm in the middle of this year. We just secured two major acquisitions. So we have the largest uh, 19th century type collection coming to the museum. We're talking, uh, this is the Dave Pete collection out of Indianapolis. And Dave Pete, who just passed away um, yeah. a year and a half ago, uh, had the largest collection of both uh, metal uh, foundry type, decorative, 19th century Victorian faces uh, and wood type. We were talking three to 4,000 fonts wow. of type. As if we didn't know. We already have, <laughs> uh, have 10,000 fonts here. Even, how do you organize and store and yeah. and display that around, amount? Like, yeah, yeah, we've got basically like wall-to-wall type cases full yeah. of metal and wood type here at the front yeah. building. And if you go in the back building, it just keeps going. Yeah, and wow. the warehouse, we have more. So. But the question is not where you put something, it's you need to go get it. So we're- Well, that's what I was, that was literally going to be my follow-up question. So as someone who loves to spend money on machines, like it is just, I feel like it's what you I was born to You haven't talked to me. Do. I mean, this is, we, we need to <laughs> yeah. talk. No, I know, we need to talk. It's probably for the best, yeah. <laughs> Zach would disagree with that, Mariah. Zach would strongly yeah. well, disagree. I'll, I'll entertain him yeah. in another direction. Yeah. Um, so... I was just going to make a joke about how we were talking about making 50 cents an hour. And so that's about the budget I work with. But um, or, categor- organizing, cataloging mm-hmm. is the word I'm looking for. Like, how, how, do you deal with it all? how do you even know where something is? Yeah. So actually, that was one of my first pandemic projects is I got hired and sent home immediately. So I got sent home with a bunch of binders uh-huh. of scans of all our wood type. And I just spent a few months like making a database from scratch of all our wood type. And now is this something that you like, do you come across things that you would need to research to figure out what it is? Or once you guys buy it, you pretty much know. No, no, no. It's sometimes it's identified, but like on that one, we had pretty good identifications on the, on the paperwork. It's like an engineer did it. Yeah. Someone Um, did all the research. Aerospace engineer did the research. We just needed it in a digital format. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, we want to, I think we have somewhere around a thousand fonts there. So, yeah. Uh, so we get that like in the day P collection, we've got another, so there's about 750 fonts of wood type that are coming cuts and cuts and, you know, images on blocks and wood engravings and borders and tools and, and, and artifacts. Indianapolis. So every it's, it's going to take me three to four full weeks of separate trips to I'm, I'm heading out another two weeks for the next five to six days of just, descending into uh, uh, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, it's, it's like a, a printing hoarders collection, but he didn't just collect printing stuff, of course, because any good collector collects lots of things. Like you didn't know that the people collected spark plugs, I bet. So, but no, yeah, there's a whole nother exciting field there of spark plugs and uh, nose art from planes, you know, original uh-huh. photographs from the soldiers in world war two of the nose art, the, the ladies on the front of their plane. So yeah, that was all over the floor and everywhere and inside the house. 
And the other thing that's really exciting on this collection is Dave, his, one of his focuses was type specimen books. So these are the font books that show you the alphabets for, for buying from the type foundries. Well, his focus was 19th century and early 20th century. So we had the largest private collection of those. So part of our acquisition here was that collection of nearly 300 volumes. Of, wow. You know, just the most amazing. So part of what this gives us the ability to do is in our classes and, and stuff is to actually have this accessible so we can use that to, to be teaching uh, typography with real artifacts. And uh, you can just put those books in your hand. They're very inspiring and uh, to look at. So, so we have that coming. And then the other thing that is coming is this summer, I'm holding that off as long as I can, we're acquiring uh, a type collection from the Smithsonian. So the, all their, their collection has been mothballed since 1995 in permanent storage. <laughs> so we, we got coming from there is about 2,500 Victorian fonts. Uh, so that's quite amazing. And all the casting matrices from ATF, most of them, um, that's the, the company that made the type. And yeah. so we're, we're going to be incorporating that so we can actually be casting uh, new fonts of type as well but wow but yeah there's more stuff coming and it just it sounds like there's always the black hole coming. vortex of all things <laughs> yeah just gets sucked right to you yeah i guess it keeps coming in so but. if you needed any more reason to come visit lovely southern california come to the mecca for all things printing this is the it. cherry on top yeah great resource so if you're into even if you're not doing letterpress printing but you talk about getting inspired by seeing these books, these images you can work with and, and create something new out of it. You can get a scan made of some of these things, and, mm -hmm. but we're a resource and that's what we want to be. We, we want the museum to be a resource for all these different communities and engage with our audiences, young and old, creative and non-creative, the engineer, you know, mm -hmm. the engineer was looking at the linotype, you know, you loved it. Your, uh, yeah. your stud muffin, but he didn't look down because right down was the plaque on the linotype from the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. Uh, we have the actual plaque and a medallion. They did this whole ceremony to recognize the linotype as this great invention. So we'll show him mechanical things working, the engineering. So yeah. sometimes that, that machine, the linotype, which you, and this is your, your note there, Mariah, is to have a yeah. picture of the linotype and, and stuff. Yep, I've got it. Don't um, worry. It, uh, it's this amazing mechanical machine. It's the Rube Goldberg device of the 19th century that totally changed the world, like Gutenberg in 1450. The linotype revolutionized communications in the world in 1890. Um, and that mechanical machine making the type, casting the type, really didn't change a whole lot until till the end in 1974 for the Los Angeles Times using it. New York Times, 1978, still using their linotype. And there's a great film, by the way, a little side note is on YouTube. You can find it. Farewell, Itoan Shridlu. It's the last day of hot metal linotype setting for the newspaper for the New York Times. Wow. And a friend of mine that who worked at the Times as part of our community did this PBS kind of a on the last day. So you get to see the entire letterpress process of making a newspaper and then them turning off the light on the linotype for the last time. Kind of kind of sad. Tears um, will be shed yeah. watching so, that. So that machine is so amazing to watch these gears and things working and working engineering departments would, would have a linotype just to show every mechanical pr principle in operation on a machine. Yeah. 
So yeah, so that that can capture somebody's attention, just like wow, all that. Yeah. And during the pandemic, I did a four part series of my tour through the collection. Amazing. And it's got pretty it's much good. more in depth than the yeah. like hour long tour we give if you visit. So yeah. if you're like really curious about typecasting, we've got like an almost it's hour long. Very video engaging. On that. So it's oh, uh, it does really well. So we yeah, go from, awesome. from Gutenberg before Gutenberg through Ben Franklin through 19th century. And all that. And oh, a little side note too, you know, as we keep looking for ways to support the museum. If you ever see a printing press in the movies, it usually comes from our collection. There's up upwards of 200 movies, TV shows, commercials, all that kind of stuff features the collection in it. Um, all the way back to all the old Westerns, you know, you, Liberty Valance, Have Gun, Will Travel, uh, Bonanza, The Waltons. Do you know the Waltons? No. That's another reference, man. You should like, now. You should right now. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Same press. It's okay. a press in Newsies. So we rented okay. the press in Newsies. But we have John Boy's press from the Waltons from 1971, wow. which is on, uh, it's a it's a 10 by 15 platen press on casters. So the prop department could roll it around. Then we rent, I rented that one to Newsies mm -hmm. uh, for their uh, Inception. There's a whole printing scene in it that nobody there knows is. about. That's yeah, all there. of our equipment. You have to know what you're looking at because they never reference yeah. printing and dreams or something. It's just, you just have to know. Christopher Nolan called that to be an abandoned French printing warehouse yeah. uh, from 1980, which is like my entire warehouse. And I was like, <laughs> all right, truckloads, hauled it down to LA. We, we shot that. And, and right now, what's another thing that saved our rear end here in the pandemic was we get the call from HBO for their new, uh, it's now been out, is The Gilded Age. 2019, yeah. Uh, is that not there. like the most and exciting they, thing Yeah, they ever said, uh, yeah. Could, we, they wanted my entire, the entire country newspaper shop that we have in our front gallery there. Mm -hmm. I said, sure, we can, we can ship all that. You know, there's a little really price a to it. Problem to scrap yeah. the front building. No one was coming because we were still yeah. locked out. So we yeah. hauled out this 5,000 <laughs> pound hand cranked newspaper press. So they were setting up um, the, the New York Globe. It was a black owned newspaper. And they were going to be using it on set. So we awesome. shipped it back to the old mansion, the Lyndhurst Mansion, uh, right at the base of the Tappan Zee Bridge there in Terrytown, New York, and got it into the carriage house. It, it made it in through the old wooden doors, the double wide doors by one inch, uh, got it in, set it up. And and that was a beautiful scene and came across, <laughs> came across great. And of course, I was out there for, it was actually at this same time of year, right now, last year was out there for four weeks, I think. I mean, you had to go out there early and you know, unload the truck and then get it on set and, and then wait for them to build the rest of the set and then teach them how to use it, then be there on the scene, then take it all back out and create it all up and get it. And Would you have to take it down every day? No, no, or no. It stays in, it stays okay. in that, in that set. Um, yeah. um, and that's when I had my 30th wedding anniversary. So I had to explain to the bride that, yes, I'm sorry, but I'm making money. It's not fun traveling now anyway. So we're, uh, and, but then, um, yeah. 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 Uh, I had a truck coming back. Did you come back with any so, new equipment? I know. I got this amazing proof press that we didn't have. That, uh, Why waste a trip cross country, press, right? You no, know, press, a little large one so that goes in a different direction. So you had that and some other stuff because I had a truck coming yeah. back. So I just, we got an yeah. Edison mimeograph and yeah. I do risograph printing. So the mimeograph was what I was excited about. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I had an original mimeograph machine from, from uh, Edison. And yeah, so I all come back. And when we, we wrapped up at the set, they go, well, oh, this is great. I mean, there's a beautiful scene. All this. I said, we'll probably have to do this again um, 
uh, next season? I said, well, we'd be more than happy to help. We were talking, this is a, uh, a six figure font sum that, that came in on this and we'd be happy to, well, we might need to, we might need to just buy one of these. I said, well, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> you can borrow one. I'm not time, selling you one. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this so, one is not so for I, sale. We're, yeah. We're heading back in, uh, in the end of June into July. They'll be shooting, uh, uh, season two with the printing, printing equipment. So look for that on there awesome. and, uh, that's like amazing. the show. So if we can get that show going on for like five, six years with printing process, <laughs> we'll have our building fund going. This is I heard Perfect. I heard that it's a very addictive show to watch. So yeah. I don't I doubt it's on par with Bridgerton. Yeah. Just, um, That's a future awesome. podcast for you is, is printing in the movies. Here we, at the movie, we might so. have to do a, a guest yeah, location so and do an episode on location. Yeah. We're so grateful that you took some time to educate us on the history of this museum and um, a little history of Ben Franklin too. Like I know we're gonna have to like born and raised in Ben Franklin, yeah, born and raised in Pennsylvania, and I'm like, I kind of know Ben. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I was so excited you guys were interested. You're doing a great podcast. Thank you so much. We really we want to bring. There is right now a lot of. Um, artists like us who um, our entire lives exist in these boxes. And I'm pointing at the computer for all of our listeners. Um, You know, we exist on social media. Um, It's funny that you started with calligraphy because calligraphy is the gateway drug for so many of us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. you, You start talking to a printer and they're like, oh, well, I was doing calligraphy at such and such a time. And I got into this and I got like the road from A to B may be different, but it almost always starts with calligraphy and it yeah. almost always ends up with letterpress. <laughs> so um, there are a lot of us out there that, you know, we are really savvy. We manage to find our presses, to acquire them, to learn how to use them, but it feels so isolated. And so we want to build that bridge from those artisans who, who, are doing it on their own and letting them know there's a whole community here and we want you to come into it. And, and we're also just walking into it too. So they can feel, um, not alone. Um, we want to help bridge the, those two little worlds and bring everyone together because this is probably one of the most fascinating industries that exists. And so few people know about it. Yeah. Yep. No, doing a great job on that. So it's, and don't try not to, and uh, anybody who's listening that is, you know, a newbie in it, that is trying to get information and knowledge is, yes, the, the old guard can be crusty, curmudgeonly, uh, snarky. And you, I, I sit there and watch comments online. I'm just like, a bunch of yeah. idiots. And it's like, do you really need to die on that hill? I mean, yeah. you are going to die on a hill within three years. So but does it need to be this hill? Yeah, I run and, the social media for the museum yeah. and I get a lot of oh. dumb comments that are just like, well, actually it's called this. And yeah. it's like, oh. so we try to make sure our nomenclature, and I've got all the nomenclature, but I also have nomenclature where I'm able to bridge with a newbie and I have transition words in a sense. So it just, it's okay. It's un- uh, and the reality is, is that there's less and less uh, printers who are getting this, meaning, right. meaning those who were either out of the trade, learned letterpress in high school, fell in love with it, did another career, but but they had a printing press in their garage. And that's a different audience than 
the artists, the calligraphers, the designers, who are the ones who are, this mantle is going to them. Yeah. And rather than alienating them, you should find ways to pull them in, educate them, give them the information, pass on your knowledge without alienate them so that they feel like they can't ask any question because you're going to make them feel dumb and stupid. And it's like, Right. That's not helpful at all. So right. I think they stopped the uh, the drunk histories uh, thing. Yes, we they could did. revive it for one episode and just do. There you go. Uh, or should we do a mini series? Yeah, because yeah. that would be great. Yeah. yeah. Um. So let's really quick recap if there's any upcoming events, specific details, so that people is when is the printers fair? The printers fair this year. I believe it's the third weekend in October. Yeah, is that October twenty second and twenty third? Twenty second and twenty third. Um. And if we open up the registration for the vendors, if you want to come down and be a vendor and uh, sell your wares and all that, that's usually that's in June. In June. Like week of June. But feel free to send us an advance email so that we put you on that list because the booths do disappear fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. like, Especially indoor booths. We have indoor and outside on the tent. Well, the indoor disappear within 10 minutes yeah. of mm -hmm. opening it up. So that's... Uh, you want to get on that. And then just to, if you want information on the museum, just, just get on our email blast list and, um, you know, try to be nice to us and not, not be mean. And at, just send an email over to, uh, mail, M-A-I-L at printmuseum.org. And that'll get you going on information about the museum. We do events throughout the year. We just finished three weeks ago. We did our crazy crafts day for kids. And it's really for kids of all ages like us. Mm -hmm. It's all these activity stations around the museum. We do this one twice a year. Our next one will be in December. We do a holiday version. But you get to come down and, and you get special tours, but also printing on the, the letter presses, making your own bookmarks and cards and note cards and setting type and your name cast on the line type. You know, your fiance could get his name, go home and hold that little name with him. <laughs> Screen print, uh, do marbling, bookbinding, calligraphy, cartooning, origami, antique typewriters typewriters this is i mean yeah. that's a fun day i mean it's like two three four hours of activity yeah. so we do that during during the year uh we do uh merit badges for for boys and girls on graphic arts and pulp and paper a book arts day we have classes uh, we're trying to do uh about every other weekend we seem to have our, our classes starting so get on the information let's just say i'm interested in classes we also do private classes so uh, i'll be teaching a letterpress class uh, on intro to the platen press, so you don't snap your fingers off. And yeah, that's coming up in things. May. It'll be in May, and let's see other activities we got oh, going Waze on. Goose. We have our oh, our, so Waze our Goose summer Goose. we have a summer event, which is our letterpress celebration called the Waze Goose, and that's a traditional event in the printing industry that goes back to the 16th century, and it's always happened in August, and it's the time when the boss cleaned up the shop and changed the the, the paper that covered the windows and. And then they'd have a feast at his house and invite all the the manufacturers and the suppliers who'd have to chip in a little bit of money. And then the boss would give everybody some money and go get drunk at the alehouse. So printers like this event. And <laughs> yeah. We try not to focus on the alehouse, but right. yeah. we, we do a letterpress celebration and do all things letterpress. And I have a big giant equipment sale as well at that so one. So that's a great time. If you yeah. want to take a class with us in the next few months and then invest in a press, we'll take care of you anytime. <laughs> Amazing. You, uh, yeah, so that's that's all that happens around. More than that happens yeah. around here at the museum. But just stay engaged with us and uh, come down and see. And it's uh, it's really one of the hidden wonders we of Southern California and our cultural landscape. 
You're in the culturally significant city of Carson, which <laughs> means nothing to you out there in Minneapolis, but starts with a C, but not Compton. Uh, and yeah, so uh, make a make a visit. We're always here on Saturdays and then by appointment during the week and uh, happy to help people with just one learning, getting educated, getting inspired, uh, seeing things. Like even on like out of the press, if somebody's wanting to get a press, I mean, I, I encourage you, come down. Why don't you, let me have you print on a couple different presses and you can figure out, we'll work through which one you like. Uh, you don't often get that opportunity when you're looking on eBay. It, right. You just yeah. find out, oh, I just bought a press in a basement in Ohio um, and I have to tear it apart. You know, yep. it's like, okay, good luck. Yep. Yeah. And good luck and, getting it back together. <laughs> and getting yeah. back to, getting it up yeah. the stairs. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you for well, having thank us. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate so it. Much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, first off, to be back in the museum. The lights are off. The machines are there. It's like I had it all to myself. It felt so cool to be in a museum. Yeah. Talk about a VIP experience. Yeah. I feel like I could just stay there all day and like play with letterpress things. Well, I also like it's so funny because like you how you lived in LA for a long time now and you've been printing for quite a while. And like that is so ridiculously close to you. And it's like it's so crazy when you find resources like that that are close to home and you're like, why didn't I know about this sooner? Like, and you had been there a while ago, but still, it's just so fun when you find something like that close to you. Um, we both are so fortunate to have like actual resources in our cities. Mm -hmm. um, not everyone is that fortunate, but it's just wild. It's, it's also just a reminder that it's out there. You whatever know what letterpress thing, whatever class you want to take, whatever you need for your shop, it's out there. You just have yeah. to find it. You know what I would love to do? Um, because you and I both live close to resources and we're we're really lucky that way, I would love to maybe put together like a guide, a, a little tip sheet for if you wanted to travel. Like maybe we could pick like, you know, some of the like the best places to stay or whatever. And and we could just put that up on our website for people who want to come and experience the International Printing Museum or experience the Center for Book Arts and, you know, kind of just like put a little itinerary together. Like here's some yeah. good places to stay and here's some good uh, foods to eat. And that way. Oh, speaking my language. Yes. And it's not just a trip for you, the person who's interested in printing, but like yeah. I'll throw a few breweries on my list and, you know, I'm sure everyone's boyfriends and husbands or whatever are totally down to go to a brewery. So <laughs> a brewery or a coffee shop or both. Yeah. Like in fact, one of the best breweries in LA, Monkish, is like right around the corner from the International Printing Museum. So Sold. It's a good deal. Sold. It's a good deal. <laughs> um, so I think we should do that because I, you tell us listeners, would you not love like a little, you know, guide, a little itinerary just to like know what to do to come see these places? Because even though Mariah and I are fortunate to live near them, we still needed some help, like kind of getting ourselves there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it took us an entire podcast. <laughs> It's literally. like us having a podcast. Literally having a podcast. By the uh, way, you are wearing the shirt that you gifted to me. Yeah. And every, every time I catch a glimpse on, of it on the screen, I feel like you're wearing my shirt. 
<laughs> I know. I like whenever I pull it out, for some reason, it like feels like we're sharing one shirt. Like we need to do that more often because like it literally it's so funny. Like I I don't know how that works because like I gave it to you months ago. But for some reason, when I put it on, I'm always like, I hope Jillian notices my shirt. Like <laughs> hilarious. Okay, back on topic, though. But I'm keeping that in because people need to know that we share the shirt. Yeah thousands of miles by the way uh it says support your local print shop and we need more shirts like that and mariah and i are determined to make you guys some awesome letterpress merch it's coming season two merch is dropping in (laughs) fact what do you guys think about maybe doing some merch and contributing proceeds to uh the print museum museum for sure maybe we could do it yeah yeah maybe we could do a special run or something right around the time that they have their print fair maybe we could do something for ways goose Oh, yes. That'd be Which, fun. by the way, have did you hear of that before? I Maybe? actually had her, heard of it. I think I'm sure Britt or somebody posted about it, and I just, like, stalked them on Instagram, so I heard about it that way. But, um, yeah, I had actually heard of that before. Okay, because and... I had not, and I was like, this sounds fascinating. Also, can you repeat it ten times? Because I feel like I'm not hearing what you're saying. It's literally W A Y Z goose ways goose and it's it's like an actual thing it's literally a thing and it's um okay so i googled it real quick so i can give you an actual answer and this is according to wikipedia so like actual being a loose term um but apparently a ways goose was at one time an entertainment given by a master printer to his workmen each year on or about saint bartholomew's day which is the 24th of august Marks the traditional end of summer and the start of the season of working by candlelight. Wow. Wow. Later, the word came to refer to an annual outing and dinner for the staff of a printing works or the printers on a newspaper. Uh, So, yeah. We owe ourselves three ways gooses. Three ways (laughs) geese. I think I started late enough that I would have missed the first one in 2019. (laughs) Oh, my Uh, God. If I started a band right now, I would name it Three Ways Geese. (laughs) (laughs) okay we're getting off the rails here we haven't even had a drink or anything we just are delirious with letterpress love uh i am so delirious okay i walked i walked around back so you guys i took a lot of photos so we're gonna put them up but when you come to the print museum um you turn into the parking lot and i didn't know this but there's actually an entrance to the museum in the back of the building I had only ever gone through the front during the fair. So, like, that's where I walked up to. But when you go through the back, there's all these cool murals. I I took po- photos of them. And then the museum on wheels is parked there. And, like, so I got to see that. And then next to it is, like, a, a vintage guillotine paper cutter and a, <laughs> a giant Chandler and Price and this huge furniture cabinet and like all this cool stuff. And it's just like kind of like right there. I could reach out and touch it. <laughs> I could reach uh, out and touch it. That's okay. so funny. Well, that's kind of like the whole just like that's kind of how I got like the vibe I got from them in general was like this museum is not a you know, like, he's a curator, but, like, he's not, like, oh, don't touch that, sir, or, like, stand behind the little, you know, wire thing, or you'll set off an alarm. Like, this place is meant for you to get your hands on a press. It's meant for you to, like, see them working. It's meant for you to, like, 
comprehend how hot metal type is made. Like it's not meant to just like collect dust and sit behind a plexiglass thing. It's like, you're not just reading a plaque. Like you actually get to see it in action, which is so unique. It's so unique for, I mean, for printing equipment, especially, but also like just museums in general, like this is not your everyday museum. And I think that's so cool. Yeah. Um, And I'm really excited about their new edition of like the book, excuse me, of the book art center in the back, because to see a press in operation is really going to influence a your decision and be your ambition and passion and desire. Like it's really cool to see them operating. Yeah. And I'm so excited that they're offering like classes now um, because that makes it so much more accessible for people who are learning or who are even remotely new to letterpress or just want to continue learning. Like, even if you have been printing for years, it probably doesn't hurt for you to go take a class on a different type of press or take a class on papermaking or hot metal like typesetting and all of that. So, you know, there's something out there for everybody in every level of experience. So I think that's super cool um, to have that option available, especially in LA of all places. Like there's so many people and there are so many stationers, designers and printers in Southern California. Like this is not that far for you. Like there mm-hmm. are options so close to you now. So um very very cool um yeah needless to say the visit was amazing this episode was amazing i am so appreciative of madeline and mark for taking the time to spend with us mark i just it blows my mind that someone's career started in museums (laughs) like i was totally expecting him to be like well my great great grandfather opened up this thing and like then i did this and then i did this and like No, he immediately went into running museums, which is so cool. Like, that's such a unique career path. And it is never not fascinating to me when somebody says their story started with calligraphy. I'm just like, yeah, that always blows my mind. Um, I I kind of wish we started taking bets. Like, I wish we took pre episode bets. Um, Uh, It's incredible. And Madeline, too, getting to talk to her, she's absolutely brilliant and like what a journey for her to get to do something that she's so interested in and like to find I mean kind of a dream job like her whole life is going to be shaped by you know this amazing opportunity and um and the fact that she just gets to chill in the museum day in and day out and I know it's hard work like I can't I was even say, imagine it's probably not always chill but yeah <laughs> no but like I can't even imagine how hard the work is but the fact that she's just around it you know what I mean like yeah she gets, she gets to, be to see st- print yeah. goods every day yeah I mean she gets I guess to so see we, stuff but- that people don't even know exist and that's pretty cool well and pieces of history too and also I think like to be surrounded by people who know so much like you and I started a podcast because there is like we didn't have direct mentors you know like we leaned on each other because we didn't have someone to like answer all those real weird random questions or problem solve or troubleshoot like so to have those mentors and those resources readily at your fingertips is just unreal it's super cool and everyone in our generation like we love to consume knowledge in multiple different ways and it's not just about doing like just doing something, but like some people like to read about it and some people like to listen to stuff and, you know, to, 
be a part of getting this information into um, multiple forms accessible on the internet, like that to me feels like one of the biggest purposes I've ever had in life. And I'm super excited to be doing that. Um, Because, you know, all these amazing people who generations of printers in their families or, you know, they stumbled upon a career within printing, like one day these people aren't going to be with us. And if we don't find a way to tap into their knowledge and absorb as much as possible, that knowledge goes with them. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there's only so much forcing them into giving that knowledge, but I think there's a lot of people (laughs) like Mark out there, you know, who are, you know, he understands that like modern printers are, you know, looking for a deep impression and they're, you know, printing different things and they're using photopolymer. And like, you know, he's like, yeah, that's, you know, not the only way. It's not the original way, but it's the new way. And like, he even said something about like, you know, there are a lot of stationers doing it now. Like it's, you know, it's just, it's a different market now. And he appreciates and acknowledges that. And like, that's hugely important to sharing that information that he has. Um, Because we all know, we all love to joke about people in the Facebook groups and the things, but um, yeah. So for him to be so incredibly like generous with his knowledge and his time is, is really awesome. So yeah, lucky, lucky to have him. So if you want to find out more about Mark and the International Printing Museum that is in Carson, California, you can go over to Instagram. Their handle is at Print Museum, or you can find them online at printmuseum.org, all of which Mark has already mentioned, but I just want to reiterate because it's, they're such great people and, uh, and you they really like want to be following what they what They have a calendar doing. of their events and how to contact them and all kinds of things on their website as well. And they also have information about what they have in their museum. So you can really take a look and kind of plan your visit and and look at like when you might want to go see them or if there's a class you want to take. All of that's on their website. So they actually have a really great website. Yeah. Not Agreed. always common uh, for letterpress things. <laughs> well, and I, I have a feeling Madeline has a, a part to play in bringing yeah. that website uh, yeah. up to you know, up to snuff. Yeah. Up to snuff. So that is all. If you guys really enjoyed this episode, please rate and review, um, on whatever platform you're listening to, come on over to Instagram, drop into our DMS. Let us know what you thought about Mark and all of his awesome stories. Let us know if there's someone that you would like to hear from, or if there is something that you're curious about learning If you think that you want to come down to the International Print Museum, please let me know and we'll like do a little group trip maybe. We'll like schedule it so we could all go together, meet each other, have a friendly face. Um, Yeah. And as always, we really appreciate you guys listening. We are doing this for you 100% and we love sharing all of this stuff with you. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye! Bye. <laughs>